With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 44, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. And doing the show is kind of like, a, it's like therapy for us these days, isn't it? Yeah, like today's been really bad. I was meant to get this delivery from, you know, why do they do this? From eight in the morning till six. Mm-hmm. And you just got to sit in your house and wait all day. And then they don't turn up. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> or if they do, it's five to six. Yeah, you're waiting yeah, all yeah. Day, isn't it? Well, uh, you know, you had Mac hell last week. You're talking about you spent all day trying to get a Mac reinstalled. Oh, God, yeah. My Amiga bus today, you know, I, I tried to install hardware on that. It's all in bits all over the office at the moment, so... All complete chaos. Oh, welcome break to get out for a while, Ravi. Yeah, to do the podcast, <laughs> it's nice. And, of course, we do the podcast every single Friday, uh, covering this week's retro gaming news, and we have a special guest on as well. Now, uh, this week, it's a guest who um, we've had lots of requests for, actually. Yeah, and uh, a guest that I've actually been watching since the very beginning. I'm sure you have as well, Absolutely. Yeah. I'd say this person does um, probably the best retro gaming documentaries on YouTube. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, they're so in-depth. It's insane. And it's Kim Justice. Yeah, so um, Kim has had a massive, I'd say, you know, such a big rise in the last 12 months. Yeah, I've I've bumped into people like, oh, check this channel out. It's great. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh. And recently started yeah. writing for Retro Gamer as well. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, transferring from the YouTube world mm-hmm. onto paper and being sold in the shops, it's great. Because, you know, for our generation, we all grew up buying gaming mags. There's nothing cooler than being in a gaming magazine. Totally. And, you know, some people just produce video videos for YouTube and they think nothing's going to come out of this. Yeah. But actually being published, it's mm-hmm. amazing. So Kim is going to be on the Retro Hour in about half an hour from now. And, of course, the show would not be possible without your generous support. Um, we do have a little donation button on the front page of our website, theretrohour.com. And we've got some rocking donations this week. It's amazing. And uh, we'd like to thank Simon Pilgrim. Christopher Buckley. Nicholas Lees. And Jeffrey Jones. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate your support. And, of course, it all goes back into the running of the show. TheRetroHour.com. Click on that PayPal link if you want to leave a little tip for us. It all goes into it. Now, of course, we had Game City in Nottingham last week. Oh, yeah. I was DJing and I said, oh, I'm going to stream this live. What but... happened, you lazy sod? <laughs> well, it was all wireless and um, their connection wasn't very good. So I just thought we'd leave out the streaming. But I bumped into her. BBC Click, you know, uh, Mark Sislak? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was actually filming there. So we may be on BBC Click uh, yeah. tomorrow, coming out on Saturday. I I just, I was DJing upstairs and the kind of boss of Game City was there mm-hmm. and said, this is too good, get downstairs to the lobby. So we took the whole table with the Amiga decks on down to the lobby and there was like film crews and everything. So yeah. really, really got a lot of interest and uh, it was great fun because Ravi was DJing on his um, the called PT 1210s aren't they you might have seen his streams on Facebook it's literally two Amiga 1200s playing banging Amiga mods and game music from yeah back oh the god I was playing drum and bass and gabba by the end of the night <laughs> it, was, it was insane <laughs> yeah I popped in for a bit in the afternoon and like, I couldn't get any and there's film crews all around you I'm like oh well, that man I'm not needed here then <laughs> yeah no it was, it, was, it was really good and uh you know, it's great exposure for the podcast as well. So anyone that popped down and spoke to us, thanks so much. Absolutely, guys. And if you're watching BBC Clip tomorrow, then you might get a little surprise. Yeah, hopefully. I've been told I've been on BBC Clip before and it's not come through, <laughs> so we'll hope this one does. Right, then let's get into this week's stories. And uh, following on from a couple of great interviews that we've had on the podcast recently, we had Raf on last week, Mevdin a couple of weeks ago. And finally, they're getting ready to launch it, Super Samurai, they've the a- remake of First Samurai. They've actually announced it, haven't they? No. And it starts tomorrow. Ah, November 5th, the Kickstarter begins for the remake, the HD upgrade of First Samurai. God, I wonder what some of the uh, goals on that are going to be. <laughs> be amazing. <laughs> oh, it's just, you know, obviously we've had them both on and they've got this company now called Pixel Age Studios and it's just great. I mean, they're doing this um, remake of First Samurai. What's coming out for that? Street Racer as well, isn't it? They're going to be doing yeah, a remake of that. Yeah, these are going to be like... You know, they're going to put as much passion into these as they did with the old ones. And even the musicians, you know, they were saying Alistair Brimble last yeah, week, wasn't it? So amazing. It, it's just going to be great. And, you know, they're all kind of, he was saying that they're working 
in the same style that they did all those years ago. So yeah. hopefully still, still annoying each other. Yeah, yeah, they'll produce uh, the same genius as they did before. Absolutely. So uh, if you have been interested, you know, in hearing about this um, Super Samurai Kickstarter, it does start tomorrow, November 5th, and we'll pop a link as soon as that's up on our Facebook and in the show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, we like getting old consoles online. You know, we think that's a bit of novelty. We've spoken about that before on the show, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, the Spectronet and all yeah. of these small devices. What about the Dreamcast? The Dreamcast, I, wasn't it Fanta, Fantasy Star? Fantasy online? Star Online. That, that was, was the big games. one, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I've never had one online. I thought they had a little broadband adapter. You could get a, a normal dial-up adapter, but the broadband one's really hard to get. And I've got one. Oh, damn you. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Well, all of them came with a dial-up modem built in. And I think, you know, the Dreamcast, it must have been the first machine to ever have a built-in modem, first console. Yeah, it's like um, Windows CE as well, wasn't it? That was part of that. That was the foundation it ran on, wasn't it, yeah. the OS? And uh, obviously those broadband adapters, that's been the advantage. That, you know, you didn't have to use dial-up and all that kind of thing. Now there is a way, though, to kind of get broadband through the dial-up modem on a Dreamcast. Oh, cool. That's mega cool. And it's using uh, our favourite little hacker's toy. Oh, Raspberry Pi? The Raspberry Pi. Yes. That's the one. Now, this is called um, the Dream Pi. And this guy's put everything you need to know online. So, he's open-sourced this. You can build your own kit. Some of the stuff you need for it's a bit insane, though. So, it kind of comes out the Raspberry Pi. You yeah. need, like, a phone cable to go into your Dreamcast. There's also some, like, wires that break out where you need a 9-volt battery connected to it as well. Okay. So... Don't ask me why. Don't know what that does. Hmm. Um, but essentially, it does mean that you can fool your Dreamcast games into thinking that they are connected to a dial-up modem via the Raspberry Pi into an Ethernet output into a U-Router. That is, that is genius. So, it's bypassing dial-up thing and sending information through it now, rather the... than just directly connecting with Ethernet. That's yeah, well, it is, yeah. I mean, I imagine, I mean, you know, I haven't really seen benchmarks and all that on this, but I can imagine it's probably kind of limited through the, the throughput of the, the modem connection. But, I mean, it, it, people used to play these games online using standard phone lines, so they were designed for that anyway. So, so these servers, are they still up then? So you can actually, it kind of redirects it to new servers. Ah, so people are hosting new Dream, that's crazy. <laughs> and there is a community. So, I mean, there's a couple of videos on YouTube and people go on and there's like maybe one other person there. But what people do is um, there's an entire like, you know, website and community with forums and people actually arrange like, let's all go online on Saturday night at 5 p.m. or whatever and we'll all play then so people know when to go online. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you're not just wandering around lobbies going, oh, where is another player? Because <laughs> you know? I did that, you know, when, um, when Xbox Live for the original Xbox closed down. Yeah. And that was about 2000. Nine, eight, nine, wasn't it? And then I, I did get a bit of software because you know the original Xbox has got Ethernet out, hmm. so you can plug it into a PC and kind of redirect Xbox Live onto these like you know new servers, and that was really cool. But I spent about three hours getting it all set up, put my game in. Yep, no one online on any games at all. So <laughs> it's important that people do organise you know meets and stuff. Yeah, no, online, I, so. I suppose that's really good because you can all have a group schedule yeah. and then just kind of go for it. Yeah, that's cool. I'd like I'd like to see the online f- features of the uh, Dreamcast. It was it Quake used to play? Uh, Quake 3 Arena, I think, on, on the Dreamcast. Oh, yeah, yeah that'd be good. Dude, they were really hard to play with just the analog stick and like the, yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a weird control actually going back to it. But <laughs> yeah, There's a lot of first-person shooters on the Dreamcast, yeah. isn't there? Well, the Dreamcast is back online. Definitely. Now, speaking of Sega news, I know you'd like to keep track of these um, kind of console remakes. Well, now that you mention this, this is a, a remake of the Sega Mega Drive yeah. by Tech Toy. Some guy ran up to me randomly at the... Um, game city event and said tech toy on their website they've got a countdown i didn't know what the hell he was on about yeah. he was like it's gonna be something big something sega and then i come back and it's this news so okay yeah you've you've linked the article that so you know the details <laughs> well this is uh james lewis who submitted this according to our oh, show notes okay. was, was that the guy that you met or was it no no oh, we've well, met it from two places well <laughs> i i met a guy that was actually making a game called tanglewood Okay. Which was a new game yeah, yeah. that he was developing for the uh, Mega Drive. I played it. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I crashed it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was pretty good, though. Yeah. But um, this is a new version of the Mega Drive, unlike a lot of the other, you know, kind of clones and that we've had. This company, actually, I've done a little bit of research on Tech Toy. They are an official Sega licensee yeah. um, in Brazil. Obviously, South America has got a very big Sega scene, hasn't it? Yeah. It's kind of like a, you know, it's like an alternate universe where Sega 1 Nintendo failed in Brazil. It's strange. I'm going to uh, Sao Paulo in mm-hmm. Christmas, so I can try and keep an eye out for these. Bizarrely, this company have kind of been the, 
the company that did all of Sega's consoles in, in um, Brazil. They've done their own version of the Master System and the Mega Drive. They've been doing it since the 80s and never actually stopped. So <laughs> they'll still be making the, the Master System now. It's still a big platform out there, yeah. amazingly. So what this is, though, this looks like, I mean, I haven't got the sizing and everything on it, so maybe it's a bit smaller than the original, I don't know. But looking at what we've seen so far, it is a replica of the original Mega Drive. And um, it also comes with, I think, 32 games built into it. Oh, ace, yeah. And you've, you've kind of got your, you know, Alex the Kid, Golden Axe, and uh, Shinobi 3 and stuff like that. Yeah, Actually, yeah. it hasn't got Sonic 2. It's got Sonic 3. Yeah, there yeah. are some emissions, but the good thing about this is it's also got an SD card slot. Oh, that's that's much better. Much better than the cheap one that you mm-hmm. got. We actually played that the other day. I went to Alt Video Game Lounge and they had one of them and I was like, look, it's the nasty <laughs> Mega <laughs> the number Drive. three or something. Yeah, yeah that thing, oh, was awful. But they, so you can download ROMs and play them through this SD card slot. And also, it's got a cartridge slot on the top so you can put your original games oh, into it well, as well. Oh, well, that, that is really good. And I guess I'm hoping that the emulation or whatever hardware is running on there does the sound really well because I always find that with Mega Drive systems. Oh, well, the Ad Games one, we, we, we played a bit of clip of that, didn't we, about yeah. six, six months ago. Yeah, that was dreadful. But from what I've heard about this, early reports are that, you know, obviously because they've been an official, you know, Sega manufacturer, as it were, um, it's going to be pretty much spot on emulation. Even though well, some people are saying it's not really emulation. I don't know if it's FPGA based, but apparently it's got a, a Motorola 68K and a Z80 on one chip integrated. It's actually oh, hard, nice. physical hardware Wow. Uh, by the sounds of it. So um, the only downside to it, yep. no HDMI output. Uh, well, I don't know. That might not be a d- downside. What is the output? Uh, composite. Composite? Wow. It's good point for you, Dan. You'll have that straight on the CRT. <laughs> to my CRT. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, I mean, you know, for guys like me who do like to play the old systems on CRT, it's cool. But the saying in Brazil, apparently, HDMI is not big out there. People are still watching standard definition TVs, new TVs. Still yeah. standard def. I'm, so, I'm going to have to do a report or a live show from there or something. Well, I've, I've heard this is apparently only getting released in South America at the moment. So when you're there, you might want to pick one up. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to. We'll, we'll see, depending on the size, if it's like the size of a suitcase or something. Get another suitcase, Ravi. You might not get a chance to get yeah. But it's $125, they're yeah. saying. That's not bad, I mean. Which you know, is so. quite a good price. Absolutely. Well, we'll see how much of the pound falls before then. <laughs> now, a few weeks ago on the show, do you remember we did this um, on a website? We found a list of... Ways that video games sucked back in the day. Bad things about retro games. Yeah, yeah, when Joe was on. Yeah, yeah I and mean, you know, we, we kind of had a bit of a discussion about that, but I thought, you know, let's be positive for a change. Okay. Uh, there is actually an article here on heypoorplayer.com. The industry could learn a thing or two from gaming's glory days, they're saying. Six reasons why gaming was better back in the day. Mm. Now, I'm not sure I agree with all these, but let's see what we think of these, all right? Number six on the list. Classic games required skill to complete. Yeah, I agree with that, but it's it's strange because when you play classic games now, your skill level is nowhere near how it was. And each game required learning a different style. So like Sensible Soccer, completely different to kick off. And even though they're both football games and, you know, it's still really tough and you kind of had to really learn the games. And I guess you got value for money out of that or you did what I did and got stuck on one tiny point on the level and could never progress from there <laughs> and just gave up. Good. Went to Games Master for help. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, because games were due to storage space and RAM, they often were shorter back then than they are now. I mean, yeah, you, know, you yeah. get a AAA game now, it could be an 80-hour game. So I think they'd often kind of circumnavigate that by making the games harder. So you'd stick with it longer? Yeah, some did like silly tricks, didn't they? Like have the early levels really tough. Yeah. And then like later Front levels. Games. Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah, because I think, so, like you said, I've gone back and played some old games and I'm dreadful at them now. But I also think it's kind of, when you were a kid, I mean, we didn't have all the distractions of the internet and jobs and all that. So you'd spend all weekend just playing your new game, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's crazy to think now the amount of games that kids play, the amount of distractions you're right and you just sit there in a quiet room loading that floppy disk or cartridge and then just playing it and i couldn't really see many kids doing that nowadays yeah, without facebook you know? messenger going on yeah your phone yeah and, you know, all these I mean. extras going on but also i mean i think he does have a good point in so far as you know you, you think of like um a lot of classic computer and our you know console games they give you like three lives to do the whole game with yeah so you'd really have to learn every little bit of the game whereas now you know if you die in like call of duty you're going to get put back like what five minutes at most, aren't you? And have to do that bit of the game again. 
it's pretty much unlimited continues in most well, games. Well, I also think it's it's like the increase of skill level. So if you were playing something like Theme Park, yeah, you know, it's it's getting harder in the later levels. It's getting more intense, and that would be more extreme mm-hmm. as in games now. I don't know. I don't play much first-person shooters. So I, I think there's probably got that scale of like toughness. In that, but that's more playing against online players and stuff, isn't it? So even if you're doing you know an eighty hour cam- campaign though, you wouldn't just want three lives. Next one though, I, I do kind of agree with instruction manuals were more than just scraps of paper. I do miss manuals. Yeah, yeah, really nice, beautiful manuals. Um I didn't read them though. It was more just <laughs> to look at you yeah. stepped through and just look at like the artwork, you know, it was just nice to have them, wasn't right. it? The Lemmings tribes one I remember yeah because that had a like little story in it and a little comic and you could read it they were the best ones when you got a little story some games got posters in that as well that was pretty cool so now it's like what just a little like warranty sheet of paper or something in it at most or you pay a hundred pounds and get a limited edition with a plastic figurine yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, number four on the list single player games were more plentiful you know everything's kind of based online these days what what, what do you think of that Uh, kind of yeah It, it depends what system you've got because Civ 6 has just come out and that's insane. I'm going to play that single player by myself for a month and you won't see me for a while. Um, come out with a big beard at the end. Yeah, that's it. Also, um, No Man's Sky was very much like that. There's there's quite a lot of uh, new games that are coming out like that. I just think everything's got a multiplayer aspect. Yeah. So even if they release a strong single player game, they'll have a like, shit little multiplayer thing at the well, edge. It was like sometimes... You get a single-player campaign, and there is elements of online in there, isn't there? And so I don't always like that, though. Sometimes I'm like, I just want to play on my own. I don't want to be competing against other people. Yeah, like, do you remember Red Dead Redemption? De- that was so strong single-player. If you ever played the online, it was it was rubbish. I think it was, it was Destiny a- I was playing. Okay. And that was like, you know, I played the single campaign, but you kind of get to areas of the game where there is other people who are playing the campaign in there. And I'm like, well, go away, guys. I'm playing this on my own. You know? yeah, like, like, yeah, it's, get it's out of my world. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there are times when you don't want that, so I, I kind of do see the point here. Number three on the list... Consoles were built to last. That's definitely true. Yeah, definitely because just got look at the amount of Xboxes with Red Wings of Death. It's like you know, I've probably got maybe what talking consoles. You know, well over forty. Yeah. Um, the only ones I've had die are an Xbox three hundred and sixteen and a PS three. I've had a PS one original die. Oh, my laser died on it, and that's it. Yeah. yeah, it's um, yeah, but I think you know maybe I've the, had an Xbox go Red Light original Death. one. Well, a 360. Yeah, well, that, my 360 broke about, what, five times, I think? I'd keep sending it back. I'd say the problem with it is that they're not... They have these SMD um, capacitors that are mounted on the boards, and it means that people can't really get into your system, and they don't want you to get in there and kind of, you know, extend its life. <laughs> and I think it was when um, lead-free solder came in. Okay. So a lot of the problems on the 360 where it got too hot and the solder kind of melted, you know, and like you need, you know, you did reballing or reflowing, you know, in the oh, oven. Yeah, 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 the reballing in the yeah. oven. Yeah. So a lot of that I think was you know when the change of solder it was what, about year 2000 they yeah. kind of got rid of lead and solder, didn't they? A lot of people kind of blame that, so maybe that's got something to do with it. But yeah, I, I do agree with that. Like I said, the only systems I've heard breaking more recent ones. Uh, number two, yesterday's games were full of surprises. Now I think games still are full of surprises. Totally, yeah. Like I think also with destructible environments and stuff you're just like oh my god at some points where like i don't know you play rayman or something and the level would just be all black with like you know a circle light around rayman yeah. and that would be a surprise yeah. difficulty <laughs> like, yeah. rather than stunning stuff i mean there are moments in like you know I, I replayed another world through recently and i haven't played that probably for about 20 years yeah. and there are certain bits in the game where you'd be looking at something and like you shoot the wall and like there's one bit where like all water drops on you and all that, and you're like you die instantly. You know, there is stuff like that that was yeah. surprising in old games, but then there is a lot of modern games that still have big elements for surprise and stuff. You know, you walk around a corner and someone grabs you or whatever. Oh, there's a lot of those horror-based games as well now. Like what is that? Five Nights at Freddy's. That is just based on being surprised and shocked. I played the one on the yeah. PS4 until dawn. That was yeah, that was that was terrifying. Um, <laughs> and there's a virtual reality version of that now as well. I'm not sure whether I'm brave enough to play that. Oh, that? God. Uh, number one on the list, and this one, we can't argue with this one, games only shipped when they were done. Totally agree with that. That is, yeah, definitely deserves to be at number one. The amount of bloody pre-release games that I've played on Steam mm-hmm. where I've just got involved with the hype and they're like, all oh, these features will be good. And everyone's like, this game's great. Just wait for the new features. By the time the new features come out, no one cares. <laughs> it's like... 
They should have just released the whole thing. As a console gamer, there's nothing more heartbreaking as well than getting a new game, coming home on day one, putting that Blu-ray in the drive, then, oh, 27 gigabyte download to patch the broken stuff that they couldn't get out yeah, entirely. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on, I just want to play the game. Man. But then also, I think you get another element, which is new games that come out that are so massively popular, like GTA, that the servers crash and you can't actually play on it. And there's all these people sitting there that have queued all night or whatever. And it's yeah, like getting hammered. Yeah. <laughs> can't connect to PlayStation Network. So I understand why everything's, you know, DLC and downloadable. But there are times, you know, I, I said to my mate the other day, we, we were playing like um, Gran Turismo and I hadn't put the, the Blu-ray in for a while. We wanted to sit down and have a game and it was like, yeah, but a 15 gigabyte download, couldn't get online. I had to, you know, it, would have, yeah, yeah. it took me about three hours. I was in this game. video game cafe with my girlfriend and we sat down and we were going to play um, the new F1 game. And, you know, updating. We had to wait for it to update for 10 minutes. <laughs> I do miss just putting a cartridge in and playing sometimes. Yeah. Oh, come on, <laughs> bring it. back those days in a way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting list. We'll put that in the show notes at theretrohour.com if you want to see it a bit more in depth. Um, did you ever play text adventure games? Uh, text adventure? Not really. I made a few on this uh, BBC micro kind oh, wow. of text adventure maker that you could use. And it would just say, you're lost in the swirling mist if you didn't get anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that was a stock response in most games. Yeah. I think, wasn't it? Well, there is a new one actually coming out for the BBC Micro and the Electron, um, and it's called The Darkness of Ravenwood. Okay. Uh, this looks really cool. A guy called John Blythe is working on it, and uh, Neil Green, um, who runs the Commodore Amiga Facebook group. He did oh, actually, cool, yeah. He did say to us recently, we're not promoting that Facebook group enough, so there you go, Neil, as a little shout. Yeah, that's a great group. <laughs> it is actually one of my favourite Facebook groups. But this is, uh, again, for the BBC Micro and the Electron, and it looks awesome. So you kind of get that, you know, the distinctive BBC font there as well, and it's got graphics above it. And there are like, uh, you've got a zombie here like bleeding from his mouth. Oh, this is so so much more advanced than the ones I used to do. We didn't have graphics. Yeah, <laughs> just, just Yeah, but the, these are really nicely drawn as well. Yeah, it looks amazing for the you know the BBC and the Electron. Um, he said it's 98% complete and hopefully it's going to be finished this month in November. Would have been cool if you had it out in time for Halloween, but, you know, deadlines slip sometimes. Yeah. But it's just cool to see a new text adventure. I remember when I used to play on the Amiga, do you remember, did you ever play Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Yeah, yeah. That was like the most ridiculously hard game ever. <laughs> Unfairly so. Well, have you seen a documentary called Get Lamp? No. You should check it out. It's on YouTube. Get Lamp, it's the text adventure documentary. Oh, okay. and it's basically from the beginning. Yeah. You know, like Zork all, all, and all, all the and... pioneers. Yeah, yeah everything. I remember the Hitchhiker's game. That would be like, you know, like random stuff. Are you going to the bathroom, brush your teeth? Oh, the universe just exploded. You yeah. put it in the wrong hand. <laughs> it was like, oh, come on. But um, yeah, I love text adventures. There's something really, you know, because it's like reading a book, isn't it? You've got to use your imagination a lot more. Yeah, so. yeah. It's kind of choose your own adventure. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to playing this. The Darkness of Ravenwood it's called, and we'll pop a link in the show notes at theretrohour.com. Uh, you mentioned Rayman a couple of minutes ago, randomly yeah. there. Um what platform did Rayman come out on originally then, do you know? Oh god knows. Um <laughs> uh, the uh, 3DO? Not far away, Atari Jaguar. Jaguar. Yeah, Jaguar was the, actually the first platform Rayman came out on. Oh, it was wow. an exclusive at first. A lot of people obviously know it from the PlayStation. Exclusive stand. on the drag, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That, that didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out that um, it wasn't originally a Jaguar game. It was made for the Super Nintendo. Oh, wow. Now, this is Rayman's creator, uh, Michael Ansel. He's actually released um, a couple of pictures this week. He's found an early Super Nintendo prototype of Rayman, and he's released a few kind of screenshots of it and his development kit. Just hanging around. You know, he hasn't used it for years. I, it's great because I love Rayman because it's kind of, you know, Earthworm Jim and stuff. Yeah. It, it really reminds me of that. It's like it's really cartoony platform. Cartoony, yeah, but really detailed as well. Like Bubber and Sticks as well. That was the same kind of era, wasn't it? Yeah, but this looks really good, actually. Yeah, like, it looks like the graphics really suit the Super Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, and it will have parallax and everything. Well, it's the first time that apparently he's seen um, this this work he did in the Super Nintendo in several decades. And, you know, he kind of put a caption on there going, oh, my God, you know, really excited about seeing this work again now that it's been uncovered. No real detail about whether he's going to release this or how finished it was. So or... he's found the cards. Yeah, he's found it for okay. the first time, in, you know, since he made it, really. Oh, this could be this could be a future homebrew title coming yeah. out or something. It's right? awesome when stuff like that just gets found, isn't it? And then, <laughs> you know, people people need to nag them and get it out, though. Because, you know, I bet he's looking at that thing and oh, no one's not be interested in that. Yeah, totally. And like Putty Squad and stuff like yeah. that. You know, people are always interested in this <laughs> stuff. Uh, speaking of things getting released, uh, we've got to say a huge congratulations to our good friends at the Friend Up team. 
Oh, yes, uh, David Pleasance and uh, Colin Proudfoot, the old um, Amiga heads up there. Less of the old, I can hear them getting offended now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they were the um, joint managing directors of Commodore UK, working on a new kind of Amiga-inspired operating system. I've done a few videos on my YouTube channel. Uh, reason we're mentioning them on this week's show, though, is because uh, Release Candidate 1, a friend up, has just been released. And it's, it's quite cool. This is a kind of operating system. You can just go on a website and, you know, log in and use it online, and it's basically you like flexible online workspace yeah i'd get um, you stuff from anywhere and it's kind of based on the old you know friend amiga yeah, yeah it's kind of the you same saw the thing. connection yeah there you go <laughs> it's it's like based a bit on the legacy so it's kind of got a similar feel to it and you know the the way that the coding works is very familiar to mm. those people and it's free and open source so and it's yeah, yeah. there so, you go so have um, a go rc1's out now if you want to try it definitely worth a look we'll stick that in our show notes at the retroair.com if you love the amigas os back in the day i'm sure you'll like it yeah that's friendup.cloud that's a one now before we get into this week's interview with uh, kim justice uh, a little follow-on from last week um obviously we're talking about the nintendo switch and turns out today when the show comes out friday the wii u dies oh it's going out of production today apparently Ah, well, I might buy one now. Well, you joke about that. You know, I've seen people online go, oh, you know, now would be a good time to get a complete collection because Nintendo stuff goes massively up in value after a while, doesn't it? Yeah, what was I saying? That we should get it all sealed. Yeah. And then just hold on to it. Keep it in your (laughs) attic. Yeah, that will be, if especially if this Switch kicks off Mm -hmm. and revitalizes Nintendo, you'll have the rare, you'll have the Virtual Boy, basically. (laughs) Well, do you want some stats on the Wii U? Yeah. So when it came out, Nintendo estimated they were going to sell 100 million units. Okay. Do you know how many they've sold? 10. Nearly 13 million worldwide. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> crap, That's isn't it? really bad for <laughs> Nintendo, yeah. Yeah. And uh, even, you know, over the last um, 12 months, it's had a 53% year-over-year decrease, apparently. So it's it's only going down. Now, there have been people that have been like, well, Nintendo are stupid, you know? They're not going to have a console out of Christmas. Now this news is broken. The Switch is not out until March. Well, I'm just looking here now because I'm already interested in it. 300 quid for a Wii U, 32 gig, is that what Mario is, 8, premium pack, everything yeah. all sealed. They haven't even slashed the price a bit though, yeah, which is like insane, isn't it? Yeah. You know, they'll put it down to like, you know, 150 just to cut the losses, but that's yeah. Nintendo for you. But um, as, as someone here in the comments on this, uh, on this article said, they had to make the Switch sooner or later. Oh, boom! <laughs> what 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 were they saying? Uh, Will Smith's switch song is ideal for the advertising. They're missing the trip there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, rest in peace, Wii U. Yeah, definitely. What are you going to do with yours? Dan? I'm keeping. I like the Wii U. You're going to have yeah. a ceremony in the garden. Yeah, I might play a bit of there. Yoshi's Woolly World at the weekend. <laughs> now that I'm back on the booze, sober October's out the way. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, you have to be drunk to enjoy Yoshi's Woolly World, but it, no, does, no. it does help. <laughs> right, thank you for checking out episode number 44 of the Retro Hour. We'll be out again next Friday. Available from your favourite podcast clients: SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Yeah, all over the shop, and we've got some fabulous guests coming up, guys. Like. We've been working like animals to yeah. get these people on. It's great. Oh, I'm loving that spreadsheet, Ravi. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so Organisation's we'll see... the key. <laughs> we'll see you again next Friday. And speaking of amazing guests, for the next 40 minutes or so on the Retro Hour, one of the biggest up-and-coming YouTubers right now, writer for Retro Gamer magazine, Kim Justice. And we'll see you next Friday. Ciao. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast and it is time to welcome this week's special guest, one of our favourite YouTubers and writer for Retro Gamer magazine, Kim Justice. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on this week. Not at all. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Ravi and I are both big fans of your YouTube channel. We've got to talk more about that in a moment, but I I think let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where did it all all start for you then? What was your first gaming experience? God, Um, my first gaming experience... um, my parents bought me a Spectrum when I was uh, four years old. And so I think it was kind of a matter of going to all like, the shops and that, buying loads of games for like two quid a pop. So I guess my first game was things like, I don't know, Postman Pat and stuff like that. But also like school days and um, Dizzy games and all that kind of stuff, or getting um, lots of uh, tapes from uh, Crash and Your Sinclair that were all still around at the time. Did you have any, like, edutainment titles, like Fun School or any of those kind of ones? Oh, God, yeah, I had Fun School. Yeah. I loved Fun School. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, did many of your friends have systems at the time as well then? Was it kind of, did you do a lot of like game swapping and stuff with them or? Um, certainly when I got into like Mega Drive and that pretty much we all had a Mega Drive, certainly. A couple of us had Super Nintendo as well. So yeah, we did a, quite a bit of game swapping. I think there's certainly a couple of games that I never got back that someone else never got back <laughs> as, as it goes for various reasons. Yeah, I, I remember I had a copy of Desert Strike and I haven't seen that for years. That's just <laughs> yeah. It's when you see them on eBay and they're marked with your name on, aren't they? Like, That's my old <laughs> copy. <laughs> so I think, you know, Britain's kind of unique in the respect that you said you had, you had a Spectrum first. I mean, you know, my first computer was a Commodore. Mm. And, um, you know, when, when people in America kind of think of the 80s, they all think of like Nintendo and all that. But really, it was home yeah. computers that were bigger here, wasn't it? It was, yeah, for, throughout the 80s until I'd say the Mega Drive and SNES came along it was kind of a line from that Spectrum was number one and Commodore was second definitely and then the Amiga kind of as you get to the end and then I guess suddenly kind of Master System kind of gets a bit of traction and then Mega Drive and kind of kind of take over from there then Super Nintendo but yeah I mean it's a totally different beast to what happened in America Nintendo taking advantage of what happened with the crash and everything that we didn't really have over here in Europe. Obviously, after the Spectrum, did you kind of progress through different machines before you went into consoles? Kind of um, in conjunction with each other. Um, I did have an Amiga as well as a Mega Drive and a SNES. I did get into the Amiga quite late, but that was also kind of a big, great machine for me, an A1200 I had. Oh, good to hear. Yeah, we're, we're big Amiga fans on this podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's also what kind of drew me to your channel a bit. There was, you know, a little bit of Amiga content in there as well. Mm. And then I was like, yeah. oh, I'll explore extra stuff. So <laughs> um, why did you decide to start doing YouTube videos then? I'd always been kind of interested in filmmaking, making videos and so forth. Um, I was on a uni course, uh, did a degree in um, TV production. And kind of after the first year, I was kind of thinking, well, I want some way to keep my skills going. I don't want to just forget them all over the summer. So that's kind of why I started the YouTube channel. And I think the first review I did was a review of a Space Harrier 2 and a Super Thunderblade, I think. And that was kind of the first thing. And yeah, it just went from there. I kind of went from doing them every once in a while to then as kind of more and more people saw them and like, oh, yeah, you like them kind of after I got my first hundred or so subs. It was like, okay, let's you know, keep on doing this as it goes. And it's kind of got to a stage where I've been doing one every week, mostly for the past four years. Which kind of videos that you do are the most popular then? Well, nowadays, it's definitely the more documentary type videos that I do. And I'd say on those, then, the company overviews, like when I've done videos on a Ocean Software or a Cygnosis, one that I did recently, or um, the one that I did just Monday, I released a video about US gold. Um, those are kind of videos that really seem to be the most popular for me, doing those big like British company overviews of publishers, developers, all the games that they did, the people who were behind them, sort of their rise and fall story. It's kind of like they're not covered, you know, um, mm. in other medium. And then I go on YouTube and I can watch your videos and I learn so much because they're yeah. massively in-depth. Like, how do you do your research and... As far as research goes, I mean, sometimes it helps if there is a book out there um, that I can go to and have a look at, um, whether it's something like um, a book by, if you guys know uh, Chris Wilkins and his books, something like that. I mean, he's done some good retrospectives on um, US gold and ocean. Or um, just looking back at stuff that was out around at the time, I mean, you can go to the Internet Archive and there's full archives of pretty much most of the magazines that were around um, whether it's um, your Sinclair or Amiga Power or whatever. Seeing if I can find stuff in old newspapers and that, there's a couple of good resources for that. Or just browsing YouTube, seeing what people have ripped and put on there, whether it's an old documentary or an old bit of news or an old interview with somebody. I think it's always good for just trying to find the sources. Well, you mentioned magazines there as well, and kind of pre-internet, you know, that was how we found out information about games. Yes, absolutely. What magazines did you used to love when you were growing up then? I loved, um, my first loves were Your Sinclair, was definitely the best of the specky ones, and then from there, uh, Mean Machines, oh, yeah. I always thought it was a great magazine, old um, Jazz Wignall and all that. Amiga Power was definitely probably my favourite magazine ever. And I think after that kind of, I used to buy the official PlayStation magazine. I'd never say it was a favourite. I was kind of just bought it for the demo disc. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, I kind of went out of magazines because of the internet, obviously. Well, there's never really been a magazine like Amiga Power, but that attitude that that magazine had, I've mm. never seen anything like that before. 
No, they were just so outspoken. Just, I mean, even just the fact that they used to rate games with like using the whole of a percentage scale. Like, if it's mediocre, it's fifty percent. Used to piss people off no end. Well, in your Rise of the Robots video, you talk about the fact that uh, I think what did Amiga Power give that game like five percent, and some of the other ones give it ninety percent. They were all yes, like, you know, I think, brutally yeah, honest. They, yeah, Amiga Power I think gave it free, if I remember correctly, <laughs> and just laid into. It. And yeah, and then you had, I think Amiga Action gave it like ninety odd. Uh, CV, CVG infamously gave it about 90. They rated it about two points higher than Doom 2. God, I, I got that for Christmas and that was one of the most disappointing <laughs> Christmas presents I ever got that game. I was lucky enough in that I only, I am at the time I only rented it. I rented the SNES version and I beat it in about 10 minutes and I was just like, yeah, this is horrible. I had the Amiga 600 version, it came with about 15 floppy disks, I think. <laughs> it had, I think it had like, seven of those for the intro alone yeah just a, a ridiculous game i also think with your videos that you you're really good at kind of storytelling and um mm. you know when, when i watch them it's like i've, I've watched a, a proper episode of something or <laughs> I've, I've seen a full kind of tale um where did this like passion come from i think again a lot of that came from when i was studying media just um studying things like script writing and so forth and kind of getting that in my head of like okay how to how to um structure like a video like whether it's um a piece of fiction or a non-fiction like a documentary to actually structure it in order to keep people interested and i guess that's kind of one of the ways i do that just trying to make it as story driven as possible to actually i also tried to do it to give that these people life almost like i'm covering with because if it's just kind of seems like a regular guy on the page you know actually they did this and this and kind of go for their story try and get into their head almost yeah. I mean, some, sometimes it might not necessarily, it might be a bit of projection sometimes, not going to lie. Um, all those kind of stuff, you can kind of figure out what was going through someone's mind. So I'm then trying to put that into the video. Well, you can tell that, you know, your blood, sweat and tears have gone into it because me and Dan do YouTube videos and to do like three minutes, it takes us a good two, three <laughs> hours. So to do an hour long video, I, I can't imagine how long it takes. It's it can take a while sometimes. I mean, I have um, a very kind of, or I have it organised in my head, um, kind of where I write um, a script and kind of have an idea already in my head of what it's going to look like. And so I can kind of go from there. I mean, I'm kind of fortunate in a sense that my videos never have any call for me to do any on-camera stuff. I pretty much never appear on camera in a video. So that decreases the amount of time spent to actually do it by a lot. Well, obviously, YouTube is where you go now for video games content, but you know it wasn't always the case. If you go back to the uh, you know the early nineties, late eighties, it was uh, gaming TV that was quite mainstream back then. Um, oh yes. What were your favourites? Uh, I loved Games Master. Games Master all the way, the best show, especially when old Dominic Diamond was hosting it. I mean, the Dexter Fletcher stuff we don't usually talk about, but just a fun show to watch. I mean, I'd say there was that, and. Um, Going a bit later on, um, there's a show um, on internet show, Consylvania, and I went on TV as Video Guide, and that, that would also be one of my favourites, just the amount of passion they had for games as a whole, which might not necessarily have been in games, but that was just kind of more of a fun, entertaining show, whereas those guys were actually really talking about games like passionately and kind of overlooked stuff, hidden gems and the like of the PS2 era. It's crazy that, you know, we had so much gaming TV back then. I know, obviously, there's, um, you know, Go 8-Bit that's on TV recently. Yeah, like, it's nothing anything. compared, is it? <laughs> have, you, have you watched any of that? What, what do you think of it, if so? I've not, no. It's, no, it just doesn't appeal to me at all, really. No, I think uh, I, the Charlie Brooker Games Wipe was the only thing that I saw recently that mm, I kind of thought see, seemed a bit old school, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that was... That was really good. That was that little special. I mean, I think it kind of helps us that he comes, he's obviously very passionate about games and comes from a games journalism background, even kind of going right back to his early days when he used to write for PC Zone. Well, uh, one thing I noticed that you do, because I sit there at home watching videos of bad influence in Games Master, and I noticed <laughs> you do that live on your channel. I've joined in quite a few of yeah, them. Yeah, I, I love to do that on occasion. I haven't done one for a while, and I keep meaning all this weekend maybe should do one just off the cuff because that's that's one of the things i have like kind of most fun doing just chilling out with like, an audience and just kind of taking the mick out of an old early 90s show together like, yeah it's, if it's, it's just, great <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of produced all that lovely little like in jokes whenever andy crane from bad influence says oh this might blow up your system when <laughs> <laughs> there's like if it's like something about video game policy i oh, don't use this action replay or whatever it will blow your system up 
But the, the thing or, is that they were telling all the kids how to do it there, really, weren't they? Like, this yeah. device is bad, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, this, uh, this thing you can do, it's really cool. And then just the end, it's like, oh, it might blow up your system. It's, it's quite good as well, because in the <laughs> chat room, when you do the live stream, you have mm. so many people who like different systems. So you get mm. people going, oh, the port on this was better or that. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. you're all in a big living room watching it together. Yeah, you all just get a big discussion. Oh, yeah, I played that, I played this. So, you know, what does that look like? You have like the a big kind of nice cross between like the familiar and the unfamiliar. Yeah. Like yeah. people who grew up with this stuff in their childhood and like younger members of the audience like, bloody hell, what's all this? I mean, the stuff like especially bad influence kind of is not just games, but like just general early 90s tech. And they had and that Z, Z right guy, didn't they, in America, I remember. Mm, Z right always kind of doing that mess stuff. I'm mean, like, oh, here he is with like this massive computer. Yeah, we'll all just, have like, these in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all have this, and it probably couldn't even play like Doom One. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that you're. Um, you've talked on your channel as well about being quite keen on the arcade scene back in the day. I mean, what, what kind of arcade memories do you have? Then where did you go? And what games did you play? I used to just go to South and Seafront pretty much every weekend. I forced my parents to take me and play um, the Simpsons arcade game, Street Fighter 2, The World Warrior, Sunset Riders. Those are kind of my big favourites. I mean, I used to, when I was about six years old, six, seven years old, I used to drag my parents there every weekend. And eventually they lied to me and said, oh, no, it's um, after like the summer had gone. Oh, no, it's it's closed for the winter. There's, <laughs> they're, there's, they're not open. And I think I think I bought that for um, like about three weeks, and then my dad accidentally drove me past the seafront one day, and it's like they're all open. <laughs> <laughs> it's a special it's a special occasion. It's so it's only for this weekend. We we can't do it now. <laughs> I, I did see a thread on um, like 4chan's gaming bit the other day, and there was like some kid on there. He was like about seventeen. He said, "I've never experienced an arcade before. You know what was it like? I mean, wow. how how do you describe it to someone who maybe never been to an arcade in Britain back then?" A um, serious attack on the sensors, the, the smoke coming guys never all just loud sounds in your ears. I mean, it's kind of sort of like being in a club, really. Hair gel you know, everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's as it's as dirty. <laughs> it's as stinky, and you can't hear anything. You have to shout over everybody, and there's you know all thumping music from the games, all competing with each other. It's and back in back then anyway, it was crowded. You know, to this day, even the smell of, like, you know, faint cigarette smell and sweat always reminds me of playing Mortal Kombat. <laughs> really yeah. <like> that smell. <laughs> well, a place that hasn't been washed properly in a year. Yeah, pretty much. The carpet's <laughs> never washed. <laughs> Carpet just full of burns. Well, we noticed on your um, patron as well that you're um, going to be doing a mini documentary on South End. Yeah, Sea. that's an idea I've had for quite a long time to do kind of documentary. I mean, not just necessarily about the arcade scene in Southend, but the entertainment scene in general, because, I mean, we were quite famous, especially back in the 1960s and so forth, as being kind of the place where London always used to come down and go to for the weekend. You know, when we had, like, the Curzel in its glory days, we had so much theme parks, like Never Neverland, all the stuff on the cliffs. And the arcades kind of gradually rising up. I mean, it was such a popular place. And I mean, kind of still is in a way, but less so. Kind of perhaps a bit more down in the dumps and you kind of worry, well, what's going to happen when all this stuff disappears? I mean, because there's still a lot of arcades in that down South End Seafront. There's a lot of stuff to see, but it's gradually becoming more and more homogenised. It's uh, all token uh, stuff now, Yeah, fruit it? machines. Mm. It's all tokens. There's a couple. There's a couple of arcades still that do old stuff. And um, there's the Happy Drone. Shout that one out. That that still has a lot of old games in it. Electric Avenue has modern games in it. There's one that's actually fairly recently opened up on the High Street. Oh wow! Um, a place called uh, Astro City, which has lots of really good arcade games in it. It's got Street Fighter. I think it's got Pinball. It's got like classics like Donkey Kong. It even has like times when it's got like some of those Japanese shoot-em-ups in there. Even that name sounds old school, Astro City. That sounds like an 80s mm. arcade. Yeah, it's, it's just this nice little place just kind of in the corner of the high street, hopefully kind of doing well for itself. Because you just worry with all these places, hence why it's kind of, I kind of think of it as like a disappearing South End. It's like, if these places go, or when they go, what's going to replace them? Not not another arcade. Well, do you think arcades are kind of making a bit of a mini comeback at the moment then? I think a little, because I think as more and more people kind of 
are enthusiastic about like the old days of gaming as a retro game continues to be bigger, I think they do make a bit of a comeback now because people want to experience that still. Like people, there's people who still want that arcade experience, or people who've never had it who are curious. So I think there's that. I think there's a definite market for that. I mean, if a place like I said, I mentioned Astro City again. I mean, they've been open for a couple of years. I mean, hopefully it's you know if it's a financially sound business, then there must be something that's going right. Well, on your channel, you've um, kind of done, you know, stories of uh, British gaming icons, guys like Alan Sugar, Sir Clive Sinclair, um, mm-hmm. Peter Molyneux, you did a three-parter on as well that was, uh, you know, quite in-depth. That was, yeah, that was the most in-depth, ridiculous thing. We know when you're researching these, has there been stuff that you found out that was a bit shocking then or anything that really surprised you? Yes, definitely. One of the videos that I loved doing and one that I would say is a favourite of mine is the Mirasoft video that I did which kind of necessitated going into Robert Maxwell, who isn't necessarily a gaming icon. But I think one of the main things that shocked me about that was that um, Mirasoft's version of Tetris that they released on the home computers and they had a big, massive fight over Nintendo with. One of the main things that shocked me was that Robert Maxwell actually spoke to um, Gorbachev personally in order to try and swing it their way, to swing the whole case Mirasoft's way so that they could have exclusivity to Tetris like oh. that's how deep that got that Robert Maxwell actually go and speak to the leader that's that's insane because <laughs> we've heard <laughs> so much stuff about like Robert Maxwell and um kind of borrowing helicopters for Bitmap Brothers promotions <laughs> and stuff like this yeah it's very interesting <laughs> just crazy times and even and even just kind of going to the whole extent of that whole case because I mean it kind of happened when I was like six seven years old so I didn't really know much about it then, but then to actually read up on all that, and this is what this is how big it actually was, like holy mackerel! And so that that was a that's one of my favourite videos. And with your Peter Molyneux one as well, I kind of got the impression, you know, when you're doing it, you kind of wanted to like him in the early days, but you, as you mm. kind of go on when you're watching it, it, it is quite a tragic story, really. That one, I mean, was, oh, it is. Was I, that quite an emotional I, journey then doing that? I could never say that I dislike Peter Molyneux. I, I never could. In many ways, I do kind of feel a bit sorry, in a way, because oh, it's, it's hard to explain. I, I think I, I think he's kind of hasn't moved with the times in a lot of ways. I think he just thought, especially with Goddess, that, oh, yeah, well, this is just a new way to kind of get money. He's kind of in his own bubble, and that's kind of all he thought, like just another way to get funding and didn't really make like the um, difference that, oh, you're actually using people for it, is <laughs> crowdfunding. Not, it's not like going to a bank or whatever and getting funding that way or going to Microsoft, but a publisher, and getting funding like that. It's, this is a wholly different thing, so you need to deliver, and then you just couldn't. I can, I can, un- I can certainly understand like someone getting so hyped up about something that they're making and so passionate about it, that they will say anything because it does happen. And it's also kind of difficult with someone like Peter Molyneux because he's so, because he's so um, into his games, he's at the front and centre of all his games, Pretty much every single thing that's won with said game is blamed on him. When there's, especially these days, you know, there's thousands of people who work on a game at any given time, thousands of departments who don't necessarily talk with each other all the time, not all necessarily sinning from the same hymn sheet. You know, the slightest little thing can derail a product. So a lot of like kind of the details, it's like, well, who knows what happened to make it all go on? I mean, certainly Molyneux can be faulted for a lot of things. But, I mean, for for the stuff that he did in the past, a lot of my favourite games. Um, and, I mean, I watched a lot of interviews of him for um, that video. And there's something very likeable about him. He's a guy I'd love to meet. It's interesting because you kind of remain remain objective. You're not... Um... Mm, I do try to a little, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of YouTubers that if they do a video on that, it would be complete slating <laughs> and everything. And uh, mm. do you ever one day think that Peter Molyneux might watch the video himself? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he has. I never, th- I never thought that I'd get to stage where someone I was covering had actually would have watched a video that I did. I've always never thought myself that, but I know it's happened, and sometimes it has been quite positive. It, it would be, it would be interesting. I, I wonder if he has. Uh, David Pleasance actually linked us your video, mm. The Rise and Fall. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, check this out. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing to me. Like, that David Pleasance would watch it and link to it and be like, it's like, wow. But, um, I mean, I had um, on my Psygnosis video, I had um, comments from a, a couple of people. I had um, one from um, 
the music, uh, Tim White, um, Cold Storage, it was very positive. Um, one from um, Bill Pullen, who made Bill Toma- Bill's Tomato Game. And then I had a comment from Ian Heverington, who was the boss of the company. And it- I think, you know, we, we've had a lot of those on this podcast. And for us, it's mm. like, you know, you're chatting to your childhood heroes, aren't you? It's like, it's insane. Yeah. And another one that I had was quite good recently, which I'm, I know it kind of sounds probably blowing up my trumpet, but it's very interesting, was um, a guy called uh, Mike Latham, who um, wrote Eternal Champions. He um, did a comment thread and he actually, um, he released like in the comments thread of the video, the game like overview, the whole overview for Eternal Champions, the design document. Oh, wow. Like, this is a huge document and it's just every single thing. You, I kind of, I kind of take some time every now and again just to try and go through it a bit more. Like just kind of seeing all the ins and outs, like this is how this game was developed. This is like the game's Bible. Yeah, you like, don't want to accidentally delete that comment. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's like, that's like, wow. What about, um, you know, you did a video about Alan Sugar um, in the last couple mm. of months. And what, you, what are your thoughts on Alan then? He seemed a bit love and hate on that video. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like Alan Sugar, as I kind of said in the video. For I guess just that's just kind of personally, though, like from his TV programs and so forth. And from like him being in media, like because he's a he's a big media guy. It's probably one of the biggest media guys I've done. So it's kind of a love and hate thing. As far as like Amstrad goes and what they did, um, it was very important. Like things like the CPC, and it was kind of interesting to follow that company because I mean he's an interesting guy to follow because he was very much he was very much the opposite of your like Clive Sinclair, Christopher Curry types, the sort of middle class. Oxbridge educated or Cambridge educated people who were kind of into computers before he came along, kind of this rough East End barrow boy who started Amstrad from the back of a van. And so it's kind of it's kind of nice to um, kind of clash those people together, like the d- big differences between them. Because I mean, as much as uh, the Conservative government of the time wanted people like Clive Sinclair and Chris Curry to be their new captains of British industry, because they were both you know kind of such devout conservatives and what have you kind of fitted the British entrepreneurial mode. It was kind of like, well, they weren't. It was more Alan Sugar. And that kind, of, <laughs> that kind of helped Clive for a long while, didn't it? Even with mm. his kind of projects, some of them not going so well, they were still like, the British government's behind you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his knighthood came from Thatcher personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so they always kind of try to stick with him like kind of also probably also thinking on the side like what's this electric bike you're doing <laughs> oh they were awful <laughs> the c5, yeah. c5, c5 yeah. yeah you're sucking on mm. an exhaust pipe that's it <laughs> just yeah so so many bad bad things i mean the c5 i mean i have i've seen a c5 in the flesh and it's a beautiful fin but totally it, it very impractical and marketed crazily yeah. like marketed as a replacement for a car which it isn't it's it's more like it's more like a bike that's that's kind of what the market should have been like it's kind of like a bike that's been but not it's not a car replacement and even like you know clive sinclair i think he was a genius but he was never the best businessman it's kind of like oh you know he the, was, the, yeah oh. the spectrum like you know he didn't want a games machine he went on to the ql and you kind of want this no. business market i mean sir clive sinclair is a terrible i mean and i mean this in the best possible way i'm not dogging him he was a terrible businessman yeah, I mean, as you say, computers computers were never really a big thing for him anyway, like personally. I mean, he's um, in his personal like office working life, he doesn't use a computer. I think still doesn't. And he knew like how to market them, kind of, but it was kind of almost by accident. And then things like the QL, like him trying to get a business computer, there's just so many one-headed decisions in the making of that computer. The C5, I mean, which was his big passion, just the way he marketed that he there was no market research done at all yeah there was like and, um, no demand for it was there no, no there was yeah. at no point did anyone stop and say do people actually want this i mean and again i'm not, I'm not dogging i mean it's not the worst thing to say about someone that they're not good at business i think i think in interviews he's admitted that himself that I'm, i wasn't a good businessman businessman is not my thing his things like ideas mm-hmm. he's he's very good and has lots of ideas it's just you know marketing them is the trouble I heard, I heard he's working on another electric bike now apparently um yes i believe he is he's i think it's in conjunction with another company though so i think they're kind of both kind of doing stuff together i think it's like uh, it's an electrified i think it's a bike i think it's called and i mean and who and you never know like i mean we're 20 or 30 years removed from the c5 now electric vehicles are 
much more of a thing. Maybe something that will gain traction, but yeah. it's kind of like I've as I said when I kind of did like a video about Circlive. I think kind of like the sad thing like for Circlive is that as far as electric stuff that goes, no one will take him seriously anymore. It's like as much as he is seen as a legend of invention in this in this country he won't be taken seriously which is kind of sad but you know you sometimes you only allowed to make one big mistake like that you should call it the, the c6 yeah <laughs> c6. well uh one thing i noticed on your channel is as well that you kind of covering all these historical documents and historical people you've got to have a lot of old footage on there so how does that work with um monetization or copyright claims or any of that um, a lot of the old footage that I use is very, it's like stuff that's ancient. Mm. Like, so I, ne- I never seem to run into any copyright claim trouble of that. I'm, and generally with that old footage I use, I'll only use it. I kind of make sure it falls under fair use, like to be as transformative as it possibly can. I only let it run like an old piece of footage usually for a few seconds and that which is kind of pretty kosher. And I don't, I don't normally let something run for like minutes at a time. And so, yeah, I mean, the, monet- the monetization, I mean, as generally the rules are, as long as you're doing it like that, it's fine. And if you're just letting stuff go without editing it or transforming it in any way, or that, or that it's not in favor of a documentary, in service of a documentary that you're making, say, then it's not fine. Well, there is something recently that's definitely um, raised your profile. You've started writing for Retro Gamer magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. How's this happened then? It's kind of a case of being headhunted, really. Um, the guy who edited edit, edits Retro Gamer, a guy named Darren Jones, just says says one day, you know, how do you fancy doing some stuff? And yeah, it's just kind of been steadily going from there, just kind of doing little features in the magazine. And it's just, I'm so happy to be writing for that magazine because it's one that I love, that kind of a great sort of retro monthly. And I've done I've done some things kind of already there. I mean, interviewing um, Glenn Corpus of a uh, bullfrog was something I was very proud of doing. And just over the course of that chat with him, we kind of spent three hours talking, um, just learning so much about the different things that went into games like Populous. And there were so many incredible like bits of information that I just wasn't aware of, like how Populous was basically an Atari ST port, and just stuff like that. They're just like, wow, that just blows my mind. To say it ran that well and it was an ST port as well, that's <laughs> pretty crazy. But I <laughs> went into WH Smith the other day and opened Retro Gamer and there was Kim Justice in there and I was like, this is so good. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> a YouTuber transforming into print, you know. It's one of those things that, yeah, we'll just, as long as um, they are keep asking me to do stuff, I'll keep doing stuff for them and hopefully Lonic continues. It must have been cool when you opened that first issue you were in there and saw your article in print. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something, yeah, something I've always would have liked to happen. And it's like, I was really happy just reading it. It's like, I think I kind of took pictures and was posting just like, yeah, look, it's me. I, I've got something in print. And it's like, probably didn't get much of a reaction from like actual people I know, but it's like. <laughs> <laughs> cool anyway. <laughs> Buy up all the copies in the shop. Yeah. What have you got planned for your column then? There's a couple of things that I've written that haven't been published yet. I've just done kind of little bits here and there. I, I, I often do a minority reports. I think the last one that I did was um, on the CD32. So I believe that is either in the magazine now or in the next issue. And um, yeah, just cut things from there. Kind of helped out on an article about Zool as well, which should be also in the magazine soon. I see Ravi's eyebrows raising. He's a big fan of the CD32, aren't you, Ravi? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I collect as well. Um, oh, wow. Do you Do you collect... Um, as far as collection goes, um, at the moment I collect Spectrum games because they're cheap. Yeah, CD32 <laughs> games. <laughs> CD32 yeah, right games. I um, I don't I don't collect CD32 games now. I don't actually have a CD32 at the moment, unfortunately. Was there any systems um, you know back in the day that you thought might be big that never turned out to be? So that era was really weird. Mm. You got like a new console every like six months. <laughs> so many. I think one system that I was kind of hoping be big i mean the cd32 i guess was one. Oh, i really liked i mean i used to love the um sound of the mega cd back yeah. in the day and i always was so excited when i saw like when the hype period was going flat like just seeing oh wow it's all these like games with like live video and whatnot and they're they're like actual people i was like oh wow i really want a mega cd and then 
somewhere along the line it faded and it didn't end up doing that well. I think even the 32X I was kind of hyped by because I was such a Mega Drive fanboy in those days, still am. Did you think much of the Saturn? The Saturn, we couldn't get a Saturn at the time because we just didn't have the um, Wonga. Um, And by by the time I could get one of the 32 bit systems, it was already over. Like the PlayStation had beaten the Saturn. So it was always going to be that, which was a shame. I mean, because it's kind of a shame to then not have a Sega system or not have one of the new ones. But yeah, I mean, I I did. It was one of those things that, again, when I saw it on print now, I was hoping it would do well. And then it didn't. It just got annihilated. See, for me, I've, I always kind of picked the wrong one. I had like, you know, a Philips CDI. <laughs> Commodore, <laughs> oh. Commodore, Commodore CDTV for a while as well. But I've got an Atari Jaguar, a 3DO. <laughs> you believe the hype, Dan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 3D, 3DOs right, always yeah. seem quite cool to me. The thing with collecting is that I'd love to do more of it. It's just a question of how expensive everything is now. Yeah. That just that's as I said, that's why I collect Spectrum games because you can get bundles of them for like fifteen quid, and it's like okay, cool. Half of them might not work, but it's still nice to have the tapes. Whereas other stuff, you're kind of looking at it like like I kind of look at Amiga games. Like I think oh, I want to have more Amiga games. And then I see like the price on eBay, and it's like, okay, holy crap! Yeah, they've got it massively recently, haven't they? Yeah, they just they just go up as like big box Amiga stuff that's complete. It's just like, geez, even even for a game that's not necessarily of high standing, sometimes it's like, wow. Yeah, it's it's mad because there's like two scales. There's like the eBay scale, and then just the normal mm. people that are selling games, and they yeah. tend to do nice deals. But eBay, woof, <laughs> it's it's scary. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of my thing. I ought to get more into like the normal people are selling games scale and not the not just spend all my time on eBay if I want to actually have stuff. Well, I got Amiga six hundred about ten years ago. I paid fifteen quid for that in two thousand five. Wow! Yeah, it's like they go for a hundred quid now. <laughs> yeah, I mean the A twelve hundred that I've got. I think with that and a bunch of games off eBay cost me forty, and that was about ten years ago. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> We should tri- triple that now at least. <laughs> yeah. Do you go to any uh, retro shows at all or any kind of events? I've not been to any recently. I keep on kind of wanting to see if there's like a schedule or something of things like this so I can see what's near to me. I mean, I was going to go to one, I think it's in Margate. Um, oh, yeah, replay events. Yeah, uh, yeah, but the weekend that it was on, I, was, I had something else. So it's like, oh, okay, I have to miss it. And I think... Uh, there's another one. What was the one that Mr. Biffo was at? Was that the same one? Or? Well, I'm not sure he's everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> but the yeah Man- that's, that's a silly question. Yeah. <laughs> the Manchester one's good, though, uh, if you ever mm. want to go to a big show in the UK. It's, it's kind of something that I am kind of want to make kind of a New Year's resolution to go to more things like that because I don't. I just, because I've only kind of just recently started doing this full time. So when I was working, I had a day job as well. It's like, finding the time to actually go to those events was tough because weekdays I was working, weekends I was spending doing YouTube stuff and whatever bit of socialising I could fit in. Well, it's it's great to hear that you're doing it full time. And um, <laughs> kind of would you be interested in producing maybe professional documentaries later on or expanding your channel? Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's kind of just seeing how it goes, kind of seeing if I can get kind of more contacts and interaction with people kind of gradually increasing up and seeing how much I can push it. I mean, with um, going back to that South End on Sea documentary that I was thinking of, I mean, that is something that when I did that, I'd want to kind of do it as professionally as I could, like actually get people in, like do some filming and so I can act kind of more as a host rather than not do everything off my own back and kind of make it look professional and maybe see... um. In the, if there was ever came a time when it was actually done to see if I could um, put it in anywhere, like into uh, festivals and so forth. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an, the big sort of idea that I have for that one, seeing what I can actually do with it. Well, I think 2016 has been a great year for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it's been a really positive year as far as YouTube goes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just hoping it continues. Just, you just got to keep the mental going because you never know. I mean, I always kind of go to YouTube with... Um, don't be afraid to, you know, take a risk. Like, don't be afraid of something failing because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. So, yeah, just keep on plugging away and 
that seem, and at the moment that's working and hopefully it continues to. Well, for me, it's definitely working because I've had friends come up to me who are into retro, who know that I'm into retro gaming, and go, "Oh, have you seen this guy Kim Justice on YouTube?" And it's like, wow, <laughs> you know, it's really amazing that that's crazy. Yeah, in real life, someone could come mm. up to me and say, "Oh, check out this virtual, you know, amazing <laughs> video." Yeah, that's that's something that yeah, I, I struggle to get my head around. Well, Kim, we can't wait to see what you do next with your channel. I mean, have you got um, what, what videos are you working on at the moment? Then anything we can look forward to? Yep. Um, at the moment, I'm working on a video that should be out in a couple of weeks. I'm having a look at the um, ZX Spectrum cover tape wars. Oh, nice. So, so kind of going into like Crash, your Sinclair, uh, Sinclair user, sort of like um, a late period Spectrum video. So, um, and just seeing how they all kind of desperately grabbed for software in like kind of the last years of the computer. So. Hopefully you shall see that soon. And uh, the CD32 um, article in Retro Gamer then, if people want to check that out. Um, yes, that will be in, um, oh, um, I think it's in, the ne- it's in the next issue of Retro Gamer. So that will be out in a week. Well, it's been amazing talking to you, Kim. And I'm going to go home and finish my US gold <laughs> video that you've just put up. <laughs> no, it's been, um, it's been great talking to you guys. Um, thanks, thanks for inviting me on your podcast. I mean, I've kind of been looking at like the podcast scene, um, like the sort of people that you've had on there, and it's like I don't know, I don't know why you'd invite me, but <laughs> it's all yeah, just, no, it's... just great to talk to people who share our interest. You know, <laughs> we're, we're fans of your channel as well, Kim, and long may yeah. you continue. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, awesome. I'll see you guys later.